want you to join with me in prayer as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful again uh, to be here. Lord, we lay any burdens that we have at your feet. Lord, as your word says, we cast all of our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. So God, no matter what we've come with this morning, we collectively and individually wait in expectation for you to change us, for you to speak directly to our hearts from the scripture, Lord, for you to reveal something to us that we desperately need to know and to understand. So God, may we be receptive this morning. May we be vessels that are, that are ready to receive what you have for us. And God, as we leave here as a church and as individuals, and may we be forever different. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Obviously, as we <clears throat> celebrate our independence as a nation this weekend, we, we can't help but be reminded of, of all that took uh, for us to be here today as an independent people. Certainly, wars were fought, uh, War of Independence, and then subsequent battles that have taken place and wars. And if you think about all of those, you, you, you don't have to look very long to realize that America as a country, we, we fought a lot of wars. Uh, we've been in a lot of different conflicts. And and uh, some have, have been met with great support across the country. Certainly the Revolutionary War through the colonies was, was something that, that rallied the troops, literally, uh, to come and fight. And you think even back over, over the 20th century and, and even in recent years, some of the different wars that were fought. You think of, of World War II and, and how when we were attacked by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor in 1941 and, and how the entire country... Uh, by and large, rallied to the cause. Everyone was aware that we were in a battle, that we were at war, and, and they did their part to support. Whether they went overseas to fight or to be on a medical staff or they were here working or, or just trying to raise money or to recycle things or to cut back, to, uh, everybody sort of pitched in. Uh, and then after World War II, we, we sort of entered that phase of the Cold War. And I, and I know many of you lived during the time of the height of the Cold War. Maybe you were a child or a teenager or a young adult, and you remember uh, practicing those, those air raid uh, types of, of days where you, you climb under a desk at school or whatever it is, or maybe you built a bomb shelter out in your backyard. You, you realize at the height of the Cold War, it was, it, it was the Russians and the Soviets against us, and, and, and there wasn't really a, 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 a physical battle going on, but you just never knew when it was coming. I was a kid uh, in the, the early and mid-1980s, and I remember even then, several years into the Cold War, and almost at its end, that the, the height of that fear was still there. I remember that, and, and I remember uh, in particular when Rocky IV came out. Do you remember Rocky IV? Now, some of you, come on now. Listen, I know you watch movies. Come on. No, no, Pastor. I don't want you. Come on. Anyway, <clears throat> Rocky IV, you know. Come on, Rocky. Rocky Balboa, all right? The Italian stallion, okay? Now... <clears throat> Rocky, of course, you know, and, and, and the movie comes out where he fights Ivan Drago, and it's the United States against the Soviet Union. And you've got this big, intimidating, powerful Soviet man, and here he is in little Rocky, you know, and, and he, he finally goes after him, and he beats him. And I'm telling you what, if you didn't jump up off the couch, and, you know, and you're with Rocky, yeah, you know, I mean, come on, you're not American, you know. And so, um, anyway, but you remember the Cold War, okay? So now I got you excited. Anyway. And, 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 and then, of course, we, we, you know, during, during that time, we have the, the, uh, the war in Vietnam. And, and certainly, our country was divided uh, over that. Uh, many people uh, protesting, not, not agreeing with the, the cause of the war, the path of the war. Some of you even 
went over to fight in that war. You had relatives. Maybe you lost friends or family members in that conflict. But maybe one of the things you remember along with that is, is how the war was, was sort of divided on its support. Some people probably all for it. Many others, not at all. And then in, obviously in, in recent, recent days and in the last decade or so, we've had the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you don't have to look at the news for very long to figure out you've got people on either side of that debate. Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this something we should be doing or is it not? And, and, and the debate rages. If you trace our history, regardless of your political slant, regardless of your military stance, it's easy to note that some wars have been very popular, some have not. Some wars have been divided right down the middle. Some people think it's good, some people think it's not. But regardless of how you feel about the wars that our country has fought, the wars that our country is currently fighting, <clears throat> I believe the scripture shows us that there is one war that we must all support. And I believe that failure to support the war that we're going to talk about today is to give ground to an enemy that we all face who is relentless, and he relentlessly seeks our destruction. The war that we're talking about is found in Ephesians chapter 6. If you've got your Bible handy, I want you to turn with me to the New Testament. The book of Ephesians, it begins with an E-P-H, Ephesians chapter 6. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of, a, of an idea of what, what are we picking up here? Where do we join this letter that the Apostle Paul is writing? He's writing what many believe is a circular letter um, that would be circulated between different churches and began in Ephesus and would be, be spread around to different churches. And he was instructing them in the first half, first three chapters of this book, on right belief. Here's what Christians are to believe. Here's what uh, the... the that God wants us to understand and to come to a mental agreement with and a heart agreement with. And then in the last chapters, first, uh, chapters 4 through 6, he talks about the implications of that right belief. That, that right belief should and always must lead to right behavior. And so we get to the end of chapter 6. You've got this division here. Here's all the right belief. Here's the right behavior. And Paul sort of concludes this with, well, if you're going to believe the right things and you're going to behave the right way in this world, you're going to face some conflict. Some of you have experienced that. Because Christianity and basic Christian doctrine is not the most popular thing in the world. We wish it were, but it's certainly not. Behaving the right way, going against what the general population of the world wants to do, is, is certainly not the most popular thing. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, says this, Finally, so as a result of all of that, here's, here's sort of how I wrap this up. He says, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take the shield of faith, and with it, you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word, 
With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and stay alert in this, with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I, when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For, I am, for, for this, rather, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Paul here gives us the natural conclusion. You're going to believe the right things. You're going to behave the right way. You're going to face some conflict. And it's not necessarily going to be the conflict that you think it is. The words here from our ultimate commander-in-chief, Paul writing under the, the prompting and the guidance, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us the words that God wants us to understand. And so we, we sort of, as a whole, from this passage, we can take a very simple principle that we'll break down this morning. The word from our commander-in-chief, God Himself, is that we are in a battle, so get dressed and start fighting. We are in a battle, Paul says, so get dressed and start fighting. Now, if you like to follow along, you can flip over on the back of your bulletin, take a few notes this morning, write down a few scripture references. I would certainly encourage you to do so. Perhaps go back and study this a little more in depth. But Paul makes it very clear that the word from God is that we are in a battle, no question. And as a result of that, we are to get dressed in the armor of God and we are to start fighting. Now, in any particular battle, in any war, the stakes are very high. Those of you who remember World War II, those of you who remember the Cold War, you realize how high the stakes were. Victory was absolutely necessary for America to sustain and to continue its way of life and to thrive in the future. Now, just like that, the battle that we face as Christians has very high stakes. Marriages are on the line in this battle. I don't have to tell you that many of you in here have either gone through the tragedy of divorce or are facing difficult times in your marriage and you realize that your marriage is under attack. Marriages are at stake. Families are at stake. The relationship parents that you have with your children is at stake in this particular battle that we face. No one wants to lose the relationship they have with their children, but it's certainly possible. And that's certainly one of Satan's targets. Our children themselves, what we just saw walk out the door, they're included in the stakes of this battle. That's what's on the line. Their very souls are in contention. Relationships, obviously, between you and friends or family members or coworkers or a boss or whatever, those things are on the line. The truth of the gospel is being contended all over, and we must fight for it. The effectiveness of the church is on the line here in this particular battle. You realize that Satan, Satan himself, understands, I really believe this, he understands that when Jesus said, I'll build my church, it's a continuous action. He understands where eventually all this is going to wind up, but he's going to do all that he can to prevent the work of God in the church as much as he can. I think it was last week or the week before I was sharing with you some different statistics, and, and, uh, and maybe it was, I, it was in our church history study, a little shameless plug for our church history study that meets on Sunday nights. And I, I read a quote that said, Anytime the Lord builds a church, Satan builds a chapel next door. He is, he is absolutely concerned with thwarting the plans of God to reach people through His church. So the effectiveness of the church is on the line. Truth is on the line. Paul talks about that. All the things Paul mentions in Ephesians, all these things about what we should believe and how we should behave, it's all on the line in this particular battle. Now I have to tell you this morning, that as I was preparing for this particular message and, and reading this, it really struck me, and I'll be honest with you, I have a deep concern. And I don't say this for effect. I really do have a deep concern for those who are here this morning 
who either don't care that we're in a battle or don't know. Um, I have a deep concern for those who don't know that we're in a battle because if you go through life thinking that what you see is all that there is, then you're missing the real point of life to begin with and you're, you're really ignoring what's, what's going on that's behind the scenes. And for those who don't care that we are in a battle for our families, for our church, for truth, for our culture, for our children, those who don't care, I, I am deeply concerned for you because I really believe that, that if we have our hearts open to Jesus Christ, that we cannot help but care about this particular battle. So I guess this morning as we move through this, I hope that I can either inform you, those who aren't aware of this kind of battle and what we should do about it, hope to inform you, give you some tools that you can take out of here. Those who don't care, I really hope to challenge you this morning to step up to the plate and to begin to get involved. We are in a battle. Paul gives us first ways that we can know the plan. You'll see that there on your bulletin. We're in a battle, so we've got to know, first of all, what's the battle plan? Uh, those who are in an army, obviously some of you have been there, you recognize you can't really do anything unless you know what you're supposed to do. You just run out there and try something. That's not exactly the way it goes. Look with me in verse 10. Finally, Paul says, here's how he begins this, this introduction of here's the battle. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Then look at verse 13. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist and having prepared everything to take your stand. Paul here gives us the battle plan. He starts with finding strength in the Lord. The truth is that engaging in the battle, when we leave this place today, the battle will rage. If it's not already in your mind and heart, the battle will rage and, and you will be targeted. Engaging in that battle begins with finding our strength in the Lord. Finally, be strengthened. That's how he starts it. The truth is the battle is the Lord's, as we see over and over in the Old Testament, and he's already won it. You realize that the battle, if you read the end of the, of, of the Bible here, the battle's already won. It's already over, so to speak, but there are, the war is, is over, but there are still battles, obviously, to be fought along the way. How do, how do we become prepared for those? What's the plan? The first step is finding strength in the Lord. All of us, all of us need strength for the battles that we'll face. There's not a person in here who can go out of this room and fight those spiritual battles on your own without the strength of the Lord. So we don't find our strength in ourselves. We're foolish even to trust our own wisdom, our own strength. Uh, we don't fight it with worldly tactics, with things that seem to work for everybody else. We go to the Lord finding strength in Him. Paul then says in verses 11 and 13, put on the full armor of God. He says it twice in verse 13. He says again, take up the full armor of God. How do we take advantage of the strength that God offers us? We put on the armor that He's provided for us. Not just part of it, but all of it. Complete with the offensive and defensive capabilities that it comes with. And it's a sense of permanence that it's put on and it's never taken off. And then he says, part of this battle plan, he says in verse 11, so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. And then verse, uh, verse 13, so that you may be able to resist and having prepared everything, take your stand. Verse 14, stand therefore. What's the, what's the battle plan? The battle plan is find strength in the Lord. Receive from him what you need. Put on the armor of God and then stand against the devil. To stand here, he uses a terminology that has this idea of, of resisting the enemy of enduring the battle even during the fiercest fighting and refusing to run away no matter what. 
Now, some of you fought in some battles. Some of you have seen some combat. And you know people who were just like that. It didn't matter how fierce the fighting got. They stood firm. They held their ground. There are story, there's story after story after story of these military heroes. And, and the one thing that they all did, and the reason they're recorded in history is because they refused to give any ground. They stood firm. Paul says in the same way, that's what we need to do, to stand against the devil, taking a strong stand to, to, to resist him when he attacks we know that effective Christians, we hold those critical positions of right belief and right behavior, as Paul talks about, even in the midst of these violent attacks. So we are in a battle. We've got to first know the plan. Secondly, we've got to know the enemy. We've got to know the enemy. Look at verse 12. For our battle is what? Not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Paul lays out for us, here's, here's the enemy. Now, whether you're in a battle or whether you're playing sports or anything else, you've got to know your opponent. Uh, one of the things that, that I enjoyed most when I was uh, able to coach baseball for a few years was scouting the other team and sort of trying to figure out where, where are they weak, what do they not do well, and what do they do that's really well. We've got to look out for this. And so I, I loved it. I would keep charts, and I'd, I'd know what, what a pitcher would, would what pitch he would throw if the count was two balls and two strikes on the, the number four batter in the order and all that kind of stuff. You may think, well, that's kind of overboard, but I tell you this. We wanted to know every single thing they did well and how to exploit their weaknesses. And I really think that it's the same way. In any battle, you've got to understand the enemy's identity, understand his strategy, understand his tactics. Paul says here that our enemy, our core enemy, is not flesh and blood. Now, we'll tell you this, that obviously these things play themselves out in very practical ways. Jesus said himself that we are to be salt and light in our world. So this is not something that we take away and we merely hide out in our, in our home somewhere and we imagine these demons flying around all over the place and that's what we're trying to go after. That's not what I'm talking about. What Paul says here is not that there's no conflict to be had out in culture. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying if you look behind what's going on, you see the real enemy is not what you can see, but what you can't see. And so Paul here gives us the idea that, that yes, there are certain things that we must counteract in culture. Absolutely. No question about that. And on a, a weekend like this, we all recognize the great need that we all have to be good citizens, to vote to do the things that we can do to be salt and light in our communities and to make our country as good as we can be for the glory of Jesus Christ. But Paul's pointing us to say, yes, as you do that, don't forget. Make sure you focus on the real enemy behind what you see. Now, many people in Paul's day obviously would have, would have thought that their battle was against the Roman government. In fact, Paul would later be imprisoned, and, and he writes this from, from, from uh, house arrest, and, uh, and he's going to be... Uh, martyred and so on, if Christians are going to face persecution, and, and it's going to be a really difficult time. They might have thought, well, our real enemy, we just need to overthrow the Roman government. If we did that, then we'd all be free and no problems. Certainly, maybe they entertain thoughts of revolution and so on, but Paul here, as we said, he points believers to their real enemy, and he says this battle, this, this conflict, this wrestling match that you're really having is not against flesh and blood, but it's against something that's unseen. He says this is a spiritual enemy. Look at verse 12 again. <clears throat> he says it's against the rulers, the authorities, the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. 
Now, I, I, I've studied and cannot find anything that gives us any indication that what he's trying to do here uh, is classifying the levels of leadership among demonic forces. He's not talking about different ranks and officers and so on and so forth. He's really just trying to tell us that they're organized and they're everywhere. Um, they're, they're very organized. The, the, the spiritual forces of darkness work together. You ever felt like that, that somebody's ganging up on you, but you just can't see them? They work together. <laughs> they, uh, they're strategic. They know exactly what they're doing. You ever felt as if that, that somehow it seems as if Satan just knows exactly where to hit you? Oh, my goodness. How, how did that happen at that time? And how did that thought enter my mind? And, and why did I feel that way just right at that moment? Satan's forces are strategic. They're, they're focused, which means they never take a day off. They don't just attack on Sundays when we all gather here. You know that. What happens on Thursday afternoon? <laughs> Satan never takes a day off. He's relentless, which means the battle never ends. Isn't it true that just when you think you've kind of got it licked, that it seems as if the attack comes again? And certainly, we know that these spiritual forces of darkness are effective. If you were to simply look around at the carnage that's around us, even in this room today, and certainly in our community, in our county, in our world, you see families, you see people, you see marriages that have been torn apart, you see depression, you see suicide, you see addictions, you see the effect of Satan's work in this world. He's effective. He knows what he's doing. He never takes a day off. He is organized and he's got lots of help. And he's also ingrained at every level of society. Look in the media. Look in education. Look in government and business and books and music. And, and even sometimes, sadly, in the church. And you see Satan is everywhere doing his work, trying to destroy. And we must never, ever, and this is where I say to those of you who either don't care or are unaware that there's a battle, we can never underestimate what Satan is doing. I, I read... This week, uh, from Pastor John MacArthur, who hosts a radio show, you may have listened to him before, called Grace to You, a great pastor out in California, and he listed nine different ways that Satan attacks Christians. Let me read this list to you, and, and you see if any of these sound familiar. First, Satan attempts to distort God's character and ruin his credibility. You can't really trust God, he says. God's not really saying that. What was his, what was his trick in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say you shouldn't do this? Hmm. Second, Satan makes life difficult for Christians in hope that they will be dis disobedient to God's ways and His calling. Isn't that the truth? You ever had a difficult day and thought, well, why am I trying to do this God's way? It's not any easier. Thirdly, Satan strives to create confusion and deception regarding biblical truth. You ever sat down to read the Bible and say, I can't understand it? Hmm. Fourthly, Satan continually works against Christians in their service to the Lord, hoping to create obstacles to selfless and humble service. There, there's, story, there's story after story of people who will get started in some sort of great service for the Lord, and then it becomes all about them. You know who's behind that? Satan himself. Fifth, Satan creates and perpetuates divisions among Christians in their homes, workplaces, and churches. Isn't that the truth? Even Christians face those kinds of attacks. Sixth, Satan tempts Christians to trust in their own strength and their own resources for the daily grind of life. He sort of lulls us to sleep 
making us forget that we, re- we must rely on the Lord each and every day. Seventh, Satan wastes no opportunity to lead Christians into blatant and subtle hypocrisy. He's turning us against God. Eighth, Satan tempts to, and leads Christians into a love of the world and a lifestyle of worldliness. Maybe you face that. Ninth, Satan makes every attempt to lead Christians directly into disobedience of God's word. He is relentless. He's strategic. He's organized. And he's everywhere. And the truth is, we are in a battle. And if you've ever faced any of those attacks or some others, then you recognize very quickly that we are in a battle. So what are we going to do? Paul says, first, get dressed. We're in a battle, so get dressed. He's talking about here what he says, stand therefore, and then he talks about the different pieces of the armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. We must be protected like the Roman soldiers from head to toe. Paul, under house arrest here, is being guarded by these Roman soldiers. and It's interesting, he, you kind of picture him sitting there and looking at their, their garb, and he, and he begins to think about the, the battle that we face, and the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these words, and he says it's just like this Roman soldier and the pieces of armor he has. And he begins to lay them out, and he talks about first this belt of truth in verse 14. The, the, the belt, it's interesting, and I, I, didn't, I, I thought about going and getting some Roman... Uh, battle armor uh, and coming dressed in that but you know I'm just not that imposing to begin with um, you know being stuck at about five eight now this the step here helps which for some of you is why I don't, I don't come down off the step very do you see the difference I mean it's just it's just not it's not pretty and so here you know so maybe I need to get back up here anyway I just wouldn't be very imposing but if you can imagine with me for just a second this belt of truth the belt for the Roman soldier was not ornamental It wasn't something that they got their name on their belt buckle so that everybody could be really impressed. It wasn't that. It was vital because it held everything else in place. It would hold the breastplate in place and it would would secure that. It would also provide the place where the sword could be hung. The belt for them was not some extra piece of, of clothing. It was vital. And Paul says, take the belt of truth. If we don't have truth in our lives, if we don't look at the Scripture and find the truth that we need... Our lives will not be held together because we will have nothing that sustains us. The truth of God will hold it all together for us. Paul's drawing that conclusion. Truth is a a theme throughout Ephesians for Paul. He says in in chapter 1, he says they are to listen to the message of truth. Chapter 4, to speak the truth, to find truth in Jesus, to remember they're created for truth. In in chapter 4 again, he says that truth should be continually on their lips. And in chapter 5, he says they are to produce truth the fruit of truth in their lives. We have trouble, and you will have trouble doing battle against Satan and his forces if you don't know the truth of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that, well, I don't know the truth of Scripture, I suppose all is lost. That's not what I'm saying. But it does mean that if you find yourself lacking in this particular area, if you find the belt of truth is either not there for you or it's pretty loose, Maybe today is the day you begin to tighten that up and you begin to seek truth from Scripture. Paul then talks about righteousness like armor on your chest in verse 14. The breastplate of righteousness, most versions will say. Roman soldiers wore this this scaled breast piece from from about here down to about their thighs. And it it was sort of like chain link. And it would link together and protect them. Uh, their, Their vital organs, if you think of what's in there, you've got your heart and your lungs and and your bowels, and all that needs to be protected, because if you sustain an injury there, it can be very devastating. 
it's interesting that Jewish instruction taught that, that the, the heart was representative of the mind and the will. Give God your heart. You give Him all that you are. And, and, the, and these other, the midsection, the bowels, represented a person's emotions and feelings. Now you think about what Paul's writing here. He says, get the breastplate of righteousness. Cover your heart. Cover your midsection. He's saying that since Satan's attacks are often aimed at our minds and our feelings, we've got to do all we can to protect these. To protect our hearts, to protect our, our will, our emotions, how we feel about things. You ever felt blown back and forth by all of that? He says, the way that you do this is to live out the righteousness of Christ. Take on the breastplate of righteousness. Now we know that at the moment of salvation, there's an exchange that happens that we cannot fully fully explain why in the world God would want to do this other than for His glory. But we realize that as, that as broken, lost sinners that have nothing in our bank account, so to speak, but absolute sin, that at the moment we are converted to believers in Jesus Christ, that we get what's called imputed righteousness. That means our bank account is drained of all that sin. Jesus takes that upon Himself at the cross and instead fills our account up with His righteousness, not our own, I can't fill my own account. He does it for me and fills me up with imputed righteousness. He says, Paul here is talking about that kind of righteousness, certainly, that comes at the moment of conversion. And he's also talking about just daily obedience, which leads to a righteous life. If you want to be blown around less and less as the days go by, begin to simply understand who you are in Jesus Christ. No, I'm not a broken down old sinner anymore. I've been redeemed. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And begin to live righteously each and every day. Paul says that will protect your will, your mind, your emotions. He then talks about having your feet, he says in verse 15, sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Sandals, obviously, for a Roman soldier were vitally important. His very life may depend on his ability to maintain his footing or to launch a counterattack or to move out of the way of an attack. Now, most likely, these, these sandals the Roman soldiers would wear would have some nails embedded in them to give them a little better footing, kind of like what you might think today of, of baseball spikes where they've got the steel spikes coming at them, something along those lines to give you some footing. Um, again, you know, and I tell you, and I joke, but I really think God is a baseball fan. There's just so many different ways you can apply this stuff. <clears throat> anyway, um, relax. Um, <clears throat> The gospel of peace he's talking about here gives us some serious and solid footing in battle. The truth is that in the midst of an attack of Satan, we can remain secure, knowing that we are, as believers in Jesus Christ, at peace with God. No longer fighting against God, but now on His side, and He is fighting on our behalf. And then we can be ready for battle at all times, knowing we've got that firm foundation under our feet. Paul talks about the sandals being ready. And then he says in verse 16, In every situation take the shield of faith. The, the ancient armies would line up, and they had these, these shields that probably about this tall, and what they would do is they would make a long line, and they would kneel down and have their shields right together, and the people that were shooting arrows or, or going to do a lot of the fighting or whatever would line up behind them, and they were protected from the arrow attacks of the enemy. He says, take the shield of faith. What does he say here in verse 16? With it, you'll be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Picture a battle in your mind. And this line of shields touching one another together, people crouching down behind them to be spared from the attacks of arrows. 
The arrow attack was one of the most feared attacks uh, in, in ancient battle because it seemingly came from nowhere and from a great distance. And, it, and, and it, went, it happened with quick and accurate precision. The truth is that many of us today have faced those kinds of attacks from Satan. Sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, that he shoots something into your life, some tragedy, some thought, some, some issue that you're now facing, and it seemingly came from nowhere, and you just think, what happened? And Paul says here that when Satan attacks with those flaming arrows that seemingly destroy everything in its path, that only the shield of faith, that right belief which leads to right action, only the shield of faith in Jesus Christ can quench those arrows. We don't escape attack, but we we find ourselves protected by our faith. The helmet of salvation he references here in chapter, in, in verse 17 rather, now, the Roman helmet was constructed at some bronze attached to the head with leather, and no soldier who was smart would enter battle without it. You think about what you might sustain, uh, maybe a wound to your arm or to a leg. If it happened to your head, it would kill you. And so the soldier would make sure that his head was protected at all times in battle. Paul says that we, we need, at the very top, the helmet of salvation. Many of you have faced the attack from Satan, and he loves this one. It plants doubts in your minds about your security in Jesus Christ. Well, am I really saved? Do, do I really know the Lord? Well, if I were really a Christian, I'm not sure I'd do that. If all those people at church were, well, I'm, I, I'm not sure. Well, Satan loves to mess with your mind on those things. But the truth of Scripture, the helmet of salvation we wear, reminds us that believers in Jesus Christ are secure for all eternity, that our salvation cannot be lost if it's truly real. And so in turn, we gain confidence and we're less susceptible to doubt and to discouragement. Paul then closes his his armor with this, and take the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. The sword for the typical Roman soldier was between 6 and 18 inches long, and it it was used primarily to deflect attacks and for sharp, quick action on the offense. It was always close at hand. And the Word of God must be the same for every believer. We're to use the Scriptures in defending ourselves against deception. Wait a minute, that's not true. I need to go back to the Scripture. I know what's true. We're to, do, to protect ourselves against temptation. You remember what Jesus did when Satan tempted Him in the desert? How did He respond each time? With Scripture. You can try all you want in moments of temptation, whatever temptation you encounter, to just endure it and you'll fail. But with the Scripture, we have a powerful weapon We're to use the Scripture in going on the offense against these dark forces. We're not just sitting and and hoping we can endure. We go on the offense. And so with God as its author, the Bible, the Word of God, we know it's inerrant. We know it's complete. We know it's infallible. We know it's authoritative. We know it's a source of blessing, of truth, of happiness, of power, of spiritual growth. And when it's handled properly, it can deflect the blows of the enemy and it puts him to flight. So I encourage you. And as your pastor, I challenge you to read it, to study it, to understand it, to use it properly. I know that many of you come each week, and I'm thankful that you do, but let me tell you this. If your only source of Scripture is when I read it on Sunday mornings and try to explain it to you and help you understand what it means and how it applies to your life, if this is your only source, you're getting a very, very, very small amount of what God really wants for you. And I'm going to do the best I can to do a good job of explaining it to you. And I'm glad that you're here. 
But there is so much more that can be learned from daily application and reading and study of the Scripture. Paul talks about this armor as if it's not supposed to be shiny, as if we're not supposed to just wear it on Sunday morning, so to speak. But it's going to be used. It's going to get dinged around a little bit. It's going to get dented. It's going to get a few scratches and scuffs. But we're going to put it to good use. Paul says we're in a battle, so get dressed and finally start fighting. And I want to encourage you, look, with, look at uh, with, with uh, me in verse 18 what Paul says. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And stay alert in this. With all perseverance and intercession for the saints, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Paul says we're in a battle. So get dressed, start fighting. And I want to encourage you to begin on your knees in prayer. Begin on your knees in prayer. Paul says with every prayer and request, pray at all times and stay alert. Pray for the saints, he says. Pray also for me. He says this battle, this unseen foundation we have, begins in prayer. Prayer is vital to spiritual, vital to victory rather in spiritual battle. We cannot win if we do not begin on our knees. All kinds of prayers are needed. He says every request, every, every intercession, praying on, the, on behalf of others. The truth is no good soldier would go into battle without having first consulted his higher authority. Without having first gotten strength and wisdom and insight from his superiors. And in the same way, leaving here today, we are foolish to engage in spiritual battle without talking to God about it. Without praying for wisdom and instruction and encouragement. Paul says, begin on your knees in prayer and then stand firm. He says, speak the gospel. Pray for me as I speak the gospel. He knew that part of his victory was found in proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And use the armor each and every day. Now, As we close this morning, I want you to, to think about something that is simply very true and not meant to be any scary in any way, but but Satan himself is after you. Satan himself is after you. No, not me. Yes, you. Satan himself and his dark forces are after your family. You say, no joke. Satan is after your marriage. He's after this church. He's after everything that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his one goal his singular goal and only focus is absolute destruction. Not just a bad day. Don't misunderstand. Satan's not out to give you just a bad day from time to time. He is out to absolutely destroy everything that represents Jesus Christ in your life. And you included. He's out to destroy your family, your marriage, your job, your friends, your relationships, everything that you have. He's out to destroy your right belief, your right behavior, all the things you've learned from Scripture. And He does it in some very subtle and yet powerful ways. So when we leave here today, and you go through life this week, understand that you will be attacked by those dark forces. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the good news is victory in the war is secure. Jesus Christ has conquered. He is victorious already, yet the sentence for Satan is delayed, but he is already victorious. But understand this, Satan hasn't given up yet.
And so he's going to attack you. You say, well, thanks a lot for that. You want to know the truth? He's going to attack you this week. But the truth is, the Scripture also says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We are victorious because Jesus is victorious. We don't necessarily just wait for the end of the story. We can experience victory even today. Satan's going to attack you. So at work, understand the real enemy. Certainly your boss may give you a hard time. Your coworkers may not like you. You may not like them. But the real enemy is the spirits behind them. At home, my prayer is that you and I will wise up to the fight that's going on for our marriages and for our children. At school, when you begin school again this fall, students, understand how you survive the pressure, how you get through day to day, how you overcome the discouragement and the depression that somehow naturally it seems comes with being a young person is running into the arms of Jesus and saying, I want your victory, make me strong, and putting on the armor of Jesus Christ. In your mind, those who struggle this morning with discouragement, with being deceived about what truth really is, with depression, if you're struggling with that this morning, the core battle is fought on the spiritual level, though there are obviously practical implications of that. So this message this morning should be a warning to some that we are in a battle, open your eyes, and a challenge to others, start caring about it, do something about it. Now, as I've mentioned before a couple of times, the outcome is already determined, but there may be somebody here this morning, I want you to know I've prayed for you, there may be somebody here this morning who you need to settle which side you're on. The Bible says that the only way to be on the winning side of this war for all eternity is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. Believing in Him as the Son of God who died to pay the penalty that you and I deserve, He died and gave us the free gift of salvation. The way you receive that, the Bible says, is to repent of your sin, to turn around from your sin, and believe in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. The Bible calls us to receive Jesus as Savior. Only He can provide us forgiveness. And to receive Him as Lord means He's in charge. doesn't mean I simply agree with a couple of things from the Bible. That means I submit myself to Him. And so this morning, if you say, you know what? I want to make sure, I want to make sure that both for today and for all eternity, I'm on the winning side of this battle. What do I do? Bible says repent. Turn around from your sin, admitting to the Lord, yes, I am a sinner, I need you, I need your salvation. And believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The Bible says you'll be saved. So maybe this morning you, you begin this battle by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. And church, this is not just an individual fight. The beauty of God's church is that we're in this together. We don't fight alone. You may be experiencing right now times of great victory. Or you may be experiencing times of great challenge and defeat. My prayer is that if you're experiencing victory, you'll praise God for it. And you will join together with those who are struggling to help fight on their behalf. Paul says, pray for me. Pray for all the saints. Persevere in this. Be alert. Don't let anybody go down in battle. So church, we've got to join together to pray for one another, to fight together. So this morning, as we close our time this morning with a, 
a time of, of invitation. Normally, I don't ask you specifically to come forward. I, I, I want you to know that, that sometimes, though, I do believe a physical response is warranted. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I want to receive the challenge of this battle, and I'm going to begin on my knees in prayer. And you'd come forward this morning, and you'd spend some time alone with God, kneeling down here at front, and you'd just say, Lord, I'm going to do battle this morning for my marriage. And God, I'm going to do battle this morning for, for my family, for my children. Lord, for my coworkers, for my boss, for my employees. Lord, for my church, for our community. I'm going to begin on my knees in prayer. And you do that this morning. We'll take all the time we need. And if no one comes, I trust you'll be doing that at your pew. And then this week, you'd put on that armor of God each and every day. You'd put it to use. You'd fill your mind with truth. You'd live out the righteousness of Christ. You dig in your heels and you stand on the peace of God. You hold out your shield of faith, believing in Jesus for victory. You remain confident that your salvation is secure for all eternity. And you study, you memorize, you use the word of God against the enemy. And you pray every day and you engage in battle. In just a moment, when Jan begins to play and Randy begins to sing our closing hymn, we'll stand together and at that time I would challenge you and encourage you if you'd like to pray with me, I'll be standing down here. If you'd like to bring someone with you and say, let's join together to pray for that person, to pray for our marriage. Maybe bring your spouse or you come and pray for your children. We are in a battle, Paul says, so get dressed and let's start fighting. The victory is secure, but there are still battles to be fought. Let's begin to fight them this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, show us the battles you want us to fight this morning. And God, give us boldness. Lord, if it means to, to move out of our seat and to come down that aisle and to simply spend some time with you in prayer on our knees for our marriages, for our children, for our families, for those that we work with and for those who are in our church and our community, and help us to engage in the battle. Lord, we praise you. We really do. We praise you that you have already won the victory that we have victory in Jesus for all eternity. And so, Lord, I pray for those who have not yet experienced the victory over sin and death, those who desperately need your salvation, Lord, that today their eyes would be opened, their hearts would be opened to you. They'd receive you as Savior and Lord, repenting of their sins, believing in you. God, change us this morning as we engage in battle. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.